Hey folks, apologies this took so long to come out. The idea for this podcast was a sort of flash of inspiration, and since that initial eureka moment, I've had a difficult time working out exactly how to frame this comparative analysis. The current iteration is the best I can muster. If you find yourself partway through wondering just what the upshot of all my blabbering is, I do address that at the end. And now... Spoilers for Kino's Journey Episode 1 and the end of Neon Genesis Evangelion TV series. These are my interpretations, arguments, and opinions. I do not assert their objectivity. Hot take. Kino's Journey's first episode makes a clear, more straightforward argument against the human instrumentality project than Neon Genesis Evangelion does. Now, just a minute here, Buster. Nothing does anything, anything -er than even. Part 1. Illustrating Instrumentality. In Studio Gainax's 1995, epical, genre-redefining anime TV series Neon Genesis Evangelion, the shadowy cabal known as Sele recruits scientist and dad of the decade Gendo Ikari to execute its plan, known as the Human Instrumentality Project, aka HIP. Why did they never call it HIP? The HIP. While we never hear either Gendo or Sele state outright what this project actually is, watching both the last couple of episodes of the TV series and its follow-up film, End of Evangelion, gives us evidence enough to make solid inferences. Human instrumentality is the convergence of individual minds into a single collective consciousness. The how of this merger is much less important than the why. Why would anyone want to forfeit their individuality as they know it and become part of or perhaps more accurately, dissolved into, a collective consciousness. There are a couple different plot reasons why the Star Chamber of Sela and its hand-picked douchebag desire this outcome. However, I find a different argument much more appealing. I believe the most convincing reason for wanting to achieve human instrumentality is that it solves the Hedgehog's Dilemma. Now, the Hedgehog's Dilemma is a concept originally explored by Arthur Schopenhauer, popularized by Sigmund Freud, and discussed a fair bit in the early portions of Evangelion. It's a rather clever metaphor describing what Artie and Sig believe is the fundamental problem of human intimacy, namely that intimacy always hurts. It's a cold, cold world out there, and we're just hedgehogs looking for warmth, right? So we're going to waddle on in, snuggle up next to- Ouch! Jeez. Ow. The idea is that as human beings move closer together emotionally, they inevitably hurt each other as well. And these wounds can be deep, emotionally scarring ones. But there's simply no avoiding it, really. Oh sure, you can follow Ritsuko Akagi's advice, but can anybody really live a satisfying life maintaining a safe distance from everyone else? I mean, not even Ritsuko took her own advice here. In Evangelion, the Hedgehog's Dilemma is framed as a foundational and universal problem of human experience. It's foregrounded early and often by the show's deeply damaged cast of characters. Intimacy is incredibly difficult for them, and they all struggle to maintain positive relationships in their lives. So then, how would instrumentality square this circle? Consider that it's when the hedgehogs move closer together that they prick each other. 
Communication, both verbal and non, is a requisite step towards emotional closeness. And it is here that the cast of Evangelion, to say nothing of a great many actually existing human beings, falls flat on its face. In all areas of the process. Expressing feelings, translating gestures, interpreting words and phrases, it's an absolute minefield, and humanity is constantly putting a foot wrong. For some people, this is no big deal, but for the sensitive, the empathetic, the self-reflective and self-critical, being misunderstood and also not being able to understand others can have deeply painful effects on one's inner life. Loneliness, self-hatred, and even suicidal ideation are just some of the possible grave consequences of the hedgehog's dilemma for certain folks. Human instrumentality would, in theory, erase all of these problems. By way of example, let's say that each human being is a separate and distinct island, and successful communication is like navigating an extremely rickety rope bridge between islands. Instrumentality eliminates the need to navigate the bridges by pressing all of the islands together into a single landmass. Should all individual consciousnesses converge into a single collective consciousness, Communication would be instantaneous, like a brain thinking and understanding its own thought, able to completely and accurately interpret it with no external factors to complicate the matter. The price for such an idealized way of being? Consciousness without the bounds of individuality. In other words, existence entirely different to the way you and I have known it up to this point. Whatever reasons Sele and Gendo have for wanting to enact the great smushing together of human consciousnesses, this is a price that they are willing to pay. And yet, as dear a price as it sounds, by the end of the TV series, I can't help but empathize with why some people would want instrumentality to occur and feel that they would be greatly benefited by it. Part 2. Removing the Filter Fast forward to 2003, when a 13-episode anime adaptation of Kino no Tabi, The Beautiful World, Light novels begin airing. The show stars Kino, a 15-year-old girl traveling the countryside on Hermes, a talking motorcycle. The two wander a fictional earth, observing the wildly different behaviors and customs of its varied people. Directed by Serial Experiment Slain and Ghost Town director Ryotaro Nakamura, the O3 Kino's Journey TV series was something of a cult hit and has managed to slowly, steadily continue garnering new fans as the years have gone by. And it's a show that does not have any overt attachment to Evangelion, so why bring it up here? Well, despite not intending, I think, to engage with Ava, it turns out that the first episode of Kino's Journey actually does marshal a pretty interesting argument against something like human instrumentality. I think this is worth examining. For the viewer... Kino's travels begin with our protagonist's visit to a town known as the Land of Visible Pain. In this country, technology has advanced so much that scientists have created an ingestible nanomachine liquid, which, if drank, if drunk, drankin, will allow a human being to know the thoughts of any other nano-juice-drinking person who is a short distance away. And when I say no, I mean, you can't not know. The nanomachines don't grant the ability to read minds at will. It's not like a power that you can switch on and off. Rather, it's as if the filter has been removed from your brain, 
causing an endless stream of other people's thoughts to rush into your mind, their content clear as crystal, whether you want to know them or not. The scientists' hearts initially seem to be in the right place here, for once in the history of science fiction. Their aim is to increase human empathy and improve the overall quality of life for all citizens. The thinking behind this is fairly simple. They hypothesize that the root of human suffering is our inability to truly understand each other's pain. What prevents this understanding is that rickety bridge we referred to before, communication. Somewhere on the bridge from my brain to your senses, too much information is lost to fully and clearly convey my feelings to you in a way that you'd completely understand them. A man Kino meets uses the example of the word beautiful to show how two people can have very different understandings of the same word and how language can sometimes place artificial restrictions on both the degree and kind of concepts we communicate. This example isn't necessarily considering the environment the communication takes place in, the social situation, the history of the speaker and listener, or any other sort of context that would be relevant in interpreting person-to-person communication. And that's saying nothing at all of the potential differences in culture, or the differences between how two people within the same culture might have been raised. These factors play a large part in forming the paradigm through which you understand people. Also, keep in mind we are talking about how difficult it can be to gain an accurate understanding of beautiful, one single word communicated. This whole process has to take place at the phrase and sentence levels as well. Oh, and nonverbal communication. Ah! It's clear that there are a lot of points at which interpersonal communication can go sideways. And if the scientists are correct that this failure is the root cause of humanity's inhumanity to itself, then using technology to make sure we all completely understand each other can't be a bad thing. Right? Right? Part 3. Unintended Consequences Wrong! Spoilers for Kino's Journey, 2003, Episode 1. It turns out that this is actually a very bad idea. A very, very bad idea. A stupendously, egregiously, monumentally gar Gantuanly, no good, terrible, awful idea. Like reactionary politics, or the Reebok pump. Not only did the nanomachine juice not eliminate or even lessen the total amount of suffering among the citizens, it kind of elevated it. Exponentially. The man Kino meets recounts the story of how the juice allowed he and the woman of his dreams to fall in love and get married. But eventually, the agitation of knowing every little nagging, disagreeing, argumentative thought that they had about each other grew so great that she abruptly left him. He even tried intentionally thinking quote-unquote counterfeit thoughts, right, to paper over disagreeing ones. But not only was this exhausting to him, she was entirely aware that he was doing it. The people of the land of visible pain don't enjoy not being able to shut off this raging fire hydrant constantly and powerfully spewing the thoughts of others into their brains. So they become hermits. As long as they maintain some distance from one another, they are free from the burden of intruding external thoughts, and their own thoughts aren't broadcast to others. Kino and Hermes initially believe that the land of visible pain has been abandoned by humans. All they encounter at first are servant machines, And only a day or so later do they realize that people still live in this place, just hunkered down indoors and 
keeping a good distance between themselves and any other denizens of the town. While this course of action solves the issue of unwanted mental intrusions, it creates a separate but equally existentially thorny problem for these folks. Crushing loneliness. Anyone who wants to remain a resident of the land of visible pain chooses a life of isolation from their fellow human beings. Now you may be wondering why everyone just doesn't up and leave town, making sure to live somewhere without other mind-reading types. The show doesn't really address this, but I believe it's easy enough to come up with good reasons why at least a fair number of the town citizens remain. Perhaps they have a history with that place. Their homes, their land. They may be reluctant to just abandon all that. Or maybe folks can't afford to start a new life. It could be treacherous to travel from the land of visible pain to the closest port city. Kino herself has to ride through a desert to get to the town, and none of the townspeople seem to own a talking motorcycle or similarly modern transportation. Whatever the case, the show assumes that the people of the town have good reasons for remaining in it. And for our purposes, so shall we. Why they are there is less relevant to us than the isolation in which they live. I think it's fair to ask, is this truly preferable to unfiltered, continual communication? You could argue that the physical distance between town residents is representative of Ritzko's appropriate emotional distance that we, beings trapped in the hedgehog's dilemma, need to maintain in order to go along and get along in life. But is that really the solution here? That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Part 4. Struggle as Reward Thankfully, this isn't the final answer Kino's journey provides. When Kino is about to depart from the town, the resident who she has been speaking with pleads for her to stay. This is understandable. The hours he spent talking with Kino are the first and who knows how long he's gotten to spend talking to anyone. Since Kino hasn't ingested the nanomachines, her mind remains closed off from his potentially intrusive thoughts. They can attempt to communicate without invading one another's brains. They can be intimate without being too vulnerable for comfort. Kino politely refuses him, saying she would like to continue her travels. The town resident becomes visibly crestfallen. But then, something kind of amazing happens. Kino observes that a machine has fallen over and broken in the man's flower garden. Upon seeing that, she turns her gaze back to her acquaintance and smiles. At first, he is too lost in thought to notice, but he quickly brings himself out of his musings. He smiles to himself, perhaps at his own thoughtlessness. Then he smiles at Kino and waves goodbye to her. She nods to him before riding Hermes away into the sunset. Though not a word passes between them here, you can't help but feel that they've connected. What an incredible scene. This one moment is chock full of meaty, delicious nonverbal communication. And there's an absolute metric ton of potential for misunderstanding. Hermes themselves asked Kino if that moment she and the town resident shared was them getting, quote, lovey-dovey. It was pretty clear to me that that moment was very much not that, but the fact that an onlooker can misunderstand so badly an instance of communication taking place right in front of them shows that Kino's journey isn't naively hand-waving the problem that the scientists of the Land of Visible Pain tried to solve. Misunderstanding is real. Not even Kino herself is completely sure of the meaning of what passed between she and the town resident. The show doesn't deny the prevalence of misunderstanding. 
What it does deny is that it's such a bad thing in the first place. Despite not being able to tune in to each other's thoughts, and also in the face of disagreement and rejection, Kino and the man connect. They don't even have to perfectly understand what the other means to connect. Perhaps we don't need to solve communication in order to flourish as human beings. If creating perfect and complete understanding among us causes as many problems as it solves, then maybe being stuck with this current, flawed way of relating to each other is the best that we can hope for. I think this sort of idea is exactly what the parting scene in Kino's episode 1 is trying to convey. The solution to our hedgehog's dilemma lies not in creating an end-around cheat code for being human, but in the struggle of existing as an individual trying their best to communicate with others. When I see the town resident close his eyes and smile to himself after Kino rejects his offer, I can't help but wonder, what if miscommunication, painful as it may be, is a critical component of our own self-discovery and personal growth? What if, in that moment, he has an epiphany that will shape the rest of his life? Obviously, that's not always going to happen. It may never happen. And as we see in Evangelion, not everyone can cope with the hedgehog's dilemma on their own. Certainly those folks deserve all the support they need to fight their battle. Still and all, what Kino's journey appears to be saying in its first episode is that while existing as an individual may be difficult, giving up that mode of experiencing the world for a converged, collective existence sacrifices far too much to be called the net gain. Part 5. This counterexample is bad. Here, the pro-hip Evangelion devotee might object, Hang on, bro, they might say. This entire argument is based on a concept that is nothing like the collective consciousness posed by the Human Instrumentality Project. This scenario in Kino's posits the unfiltered connection between individuals' minds triggered by physical proximity. Hip creates root and branch an entirely new way of being. The collective consciousness will be a single mind, a unity without any remains of the discrete individualities that converged into itself. None of the problems laid out in Kinos would afflict the collective being, with a capital B. All of its thoughts are within its single mind, and thinking about itself wouldn't push itself away from itself, or create some kind of feeling of being invaded, like when one of the residents of the Land of Visible Pain can't stop experiencing another's thoughts. You silly sod, they might say. Kino's journey does nothing to prove that actual instrumentality would drive us mad. To which I would reply, you're right. But I think you might be missing the point. It's 100% true that instrumentality as presented by Evangelion and what happens in the land of visible pain are not the same thing. The former deals with a unified mode of existence that we can't even really begin to understand because it's so different from our own, while the latter is about taking a baby step in that direction by peeling away just a wee bit of autonomy. As a counterexample to HIP, Kino's Land of Visible Pain fails. However, as an argument for human beings existing as individuals within a community, I think it works quite well. The reason to invoke Kino's Journey Episode 1 in the face of instrumentality isn't because Kino's definitely proves hip is logically impossible or would cause a collective psychotic break. Rather, 
what the episode demonstrates is actually quite similar to the conclusion that the Evangelion franchise pre-rebuild reaches. We don't need to trade in our individual existence for a collective one in order to live well as human beings. Moreover, the move to a collective existence may have unforeseen and devastating consequences. Though we will be pricked by the quills of the hedgehog's dilemma, establishing an authentic connection is possible, and perhaps being pricked will ultimately be a positive learning experience for us down the line. Once again, being an individual is recognizing that other individuals are different than you, and some might need more help than others in coping with communication failure, and they deserve that help. Heck, reach out to those that can cope on their own. Everyone appreciates a metaphorical or literal shoulder to lean on when they're hurting. Individuality doesn't have to equal isolation. Existing as an individual can be difficult and even quite painful at times. But Kino's episode one would ultimately have us believe that our individual mode of existing isn't worth sacrificing. And it does this in so much less time than Evangelion takes to say it. Part six. What's the point? Okay, Doc, that's nice and all, but what the hell is the point of all this? Isn't this just an academic exercise that, that you've done here? Why should we care about the speculative metaphysics and psychological musings of a couple of old anime? Well, first of all, if you're asking that question, then I'm not sure we can actually be friends. Second, and more seriously, because reflecting on this stuff can make us better people. Lofty claim, I know, but I do absolutely believe it. Unpacking why I think this is so could be a podcast all on its own, but I'll try to briefly elaborate. Engaging in metaphysics allows us to conduct analysis of abstract concepts, often in theoretical examples, in order to come to what we believe is the best conclusion about the nature of these concepts, and to build a list of action items based on our conclusions, if we find any. So, by creating this theoretical example of individual consciousnesses converging into a unity, and detailing what that process might be like, we can better hone in on an approximate theoretical model of the nature of consciousness. We can isolate aspects of being a discrete individual experiencer, which we find valuable and worth holding on to. We suss out a little more of what it means to be human, and what each of us are going through climbing this absolute bastard of a mountain called life. All this dovetails nicely with an important purpose of interfacing with science fiction, which Kino and Evangelion both are. Sci-fi provides us with a concrete model of a possible future, allows us to reverse engineer the choices and the thinking that led us from our present to that potential reality, and decide for ourselves whether or not we believe that possible future is worth actualizing. Admittedly, this doesn't demonstrate that either pursuit is entirely practical or has quantifiable results. But, well, I've never thought utility was a universal metric of value for anything. If you disagree with me there, we will just have to agree to disagree. Luckily for us, our two individual disagreeing consciousnesses aren't actually being forced to unify. For now. Thanks so much for listening till the end of this goofy, pretentious podcast. 
I hope that even if I haven't been all that interesting, I've at least enticed you to seek out these two anime if you haven't seen them. Both are absolutely worth watching, and I'm going to be covering more of the 2003 Kino's journey in the future. Special thanks go to one of our lovely patrons, Emily, who requested I cover Kino's via our Patreon. If you'd like to hear me gesture at coherent thoughts only somewhat relevant to an anime you like, or even hate, sign up at patreon.com slash show. Embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Thank you.